Well, come on. Is anybody glad you came to church today? Come on. Anybody? Welcome to those live and in person watching online on television, those joining us from hundreds of prisons all across the nation. A special welcome to you. And hold up. And, and to those who are receiving for the second week now in a row uh, a live Ukrainian translation. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of our family. Welcome, we're glad you're here. I'm, I'm so excited to be kickstarting this brand new series on the book of Genesis as we uncover some of the not so hidden gems of Genesis that are so foundational to our faith. How many of you know foundations are important? Come on. Like if the foundation of this room was faulty, I wouldn't trust this room. When the foundation's right, everything that's built upon that foundation, you can trust it. When the foundation is faulty, everything else, you, look, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't want to build anything on a faulty foundation. I remember back in 2009, it was after the, the, the earthquake in Haiti, I was there. Uh, with a small team doing some work to help restore uh, that nation. We were staying with a pastor in his home. It was a two-story concrete building, and it had a lot of cracks in the walls. That, that house had been shaken in the earthquake, and I wasn't so sure I wanted to be sleeping on the second floor of a concrete building when all the other buildings around it were, were rubble. And I said, now, why are we staying here again? And everybody else is sleeping outside. He said, because the foundation is still sturdy. And later that night, when we got hit with a strong aftershock and we fell to the ground and we couldn't we couldn't stand to our feet I just remember saying Lord I, I pray the pastor is right I hope this foundation is good because I don't know what I'm doing here when the foundation is right everything built upon that foundation you can have confidence in and, and church look as you consider the 66 books in the Bible if there's one book that has been more picked apart than all the other books over thousands of years it is the book of Genesis but can I just say this that this book still stands this book still speaks this book is still strong and there is a foundation that is laid in this book and I, my, my prayer and my hope for you is that the Lord would just speak to you as we study his word starting in Genesis chapter 1 as we dive in today that he would just minister to you like only he can and I, I've come back a little um, energized today um, even though I had to drive nine hours home late last night from Birmingham Alabama because of the airlines you know you can really trust your airline times now right it's like um, it, it's it's a mess so um, I had to drive home unexpected but but I got to spend the last week with my daughter and more than 12,000 students in Birmingham, Alabama at, at a conference called Motion Conference. And um, guys, listen, can I just say this? Um, there, there's reason to be a little anxious when it comes to the rising generation, the generation rising right now. There, there's reason to be anxious. But can I just tell you something that there's more reason to be hopeful in the generation rising? Come on. There's more reason to be hopeful. To be in a room with more than 12,000 young people, the hunger for the Spirit of God. I mean, listen, uh, Friday night service, I don't know that I've ever been in a more anointed service, a, a, a more powerful move of God, and it was with junior high, high school, and college students, and there was a hunger for the Lord. There, there was a desperation in their worship, but you know what? It's not just happening in Birmingham, Alabama. It's happening here every Sunday night through Rock City Youth. This, this space is getting filled with young people who are desperate for Jesus, who know how to worship, who know they're called, 
And in as much trouble as we might see in this generation rising, there is, there is so much God potential, amen? There's so much God potential. There, there, there's so much anointing. I believe the best is yet to come, and this church is filled with the best who are coming up right now. Come on, can we put our hands together for the youth of the house? Come on. We believe in you. You matter. You're called, you're gifted, you're anointed, and you don't have to wait till you're 30 to be used by God. You can be used by God right now at 13. You can be used by God right now at 16, at 11, at 12, at 18. Don't wait. Just, just, just let him use you. Let him change your life and let him use your life to see other lives change and transform by the power of his spirit through you. Amen? You ready to study Genesis? Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word? Would you speak to us? Would you illuminate your word as we uncover the truth, the foundation that you establish in chapter one, first page, first page foundation. We're looking to that right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, one more time. Would you put your hands together for Jesus? Could we honor Jesus? I do need to tell you right up front for all the note takers, and I'm a note taker, um, 90% of your message notes are going to get filled in in the last five to six mi minutes of this message. I have to tell you that because if I were sitting in your seat, I'd be worried too. 30 minutes in, you're like, where's this brother going? I, I don't know how long. Like, I'm, You're going to try to add it all up, and you're going you're gonna to think we're going to be here for three and a half hours. We won't be here three and a half hours. I promise you that. The last five to six minutes, the majority of your notes are going to get filled in. We're, we're looking at the very first of 66 books in the Bible, the foundation that's set in Genesis, a, a book that, that forms the foundation of, of God's plan, God's purpose, not just in creation then, but in our world now. How many of you know God has a plan and a purpose for our world today? He has a plan and a purpose for you. He, he, he has something incredible in store for our world today. He has something incredible in store for you. And God establishes his plan, his purpose, his covenant for all time in the book of Genesis. When we talk about God at work, you might hear somebody say that God's at work. God's at work in our church. God's at work in the world. He's at work throughout this city. He's doing something. God's doing something. Well, what is the something God does? What does it mean for God to be at work? What kind of work does God do? What is he working toward? What is God's end goal? What is God's end game? The answer is in the book of Genesis. What I love about the book of Genesis is it's not just a history book telling us what happened then. It's also a prophetic book. Some of you didn't, don't, don't, don't realize that Genesis speaks not just of what was, but it speaks of what's to come. Come on, somebody. Very first chapter. God's plan, God's design for the world, for his Creation. Now, this isn't in your notes, but I do want to give you the basic outline that we're going to follow these next seven weeks. If you read Genesis from beginning to end, it is a simple story. It follows a simple outline. It starts with creation. Where did life begin? How did we get here? Genesis tells the story. We get to the story of Adam and Eve very quickly in, in the garden, which is ultimately the story of us and how we were created by God to reflect God's image on the earth. And then sin is introduced, and, and sin impacts not only our ability to reflect the image of God, but, but sin impacts our relationship with God. And so God decides, I'm going to make a covenant with Adam, which is making a covenant with us, and God's covenant is unbroken. Come on, his promise is guaranteed. And God is good at keeping his word, us not so much. 
So God makes a covenant, but hey, things still take a turn for the worse because we're not good at holding up our end of the bargain. We get to the story of Noah and the flood, which often has become a, a roadblock for so many who would stop at this point in the scripture and say, I don't know if I can believe in a God who, who would do something like that. Like how could a, a God who is good destroy the world by flood? And I just want to challenge you, if you've ever had that thought, to hold on to, to, to week four. We're going to discover together one of the not-so-hidden gems in Genesis is that actually because God is good, how could he not have responded with grace by flood? So maybe you've not heard the story told this way, but, but it, it wasn't just the judgment of God. It was the grace of God, that, that God would see fit to spare a man named Noah, that he, he found righteous among all of his peers, that, that every, every inclination of the heart of man was only evil all the time, according to the book of Genesis, that, that God showed grace by sending the flood. In, in essence, he gave us a redo. He gave us the ability to start over, and then God reestablishes the covenant he made with Adam. He reestablishes his covenant with Noah. He does it again with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll look at that weeks five and six, and then we're going to end it with, with, with one of the most incredible foreshadowings of Jesus in all the Bible, and we see this through the life of Joseph, which is where this book ends. So that's the outline. We're going to follow the next seven weeks. The author of the book of Genesis is a man named Moses. Moses was not alive when Adam and Eve were created, when the world was created. So how did Moses, more than 3,000 years ago, write this account? He actually wrote the account. He wrote the book of Genesis during the Exodus, if you can believe that. He, it was during the Exodus, God's people were, were in, in, in this season of Exodus, out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses, under the divine revelation of the Spirit of God, writes down the account of creation. He not only receives the revelation of the Holy Spirit, but he's also, um, he also knows so much oral history. The Jewish people were really good at passing down oral history. So he's got that history. He's got the direct revelation of the Spirit of God. And he, he writes this book not just to, to, to tell people how God did this thing, but, but he's writing because he wants the people of God to understand, hey, God has a plan. We've been enslaved for 400 years, and, and some of us, we started to give up on God's plan, but God, he's always had a plan. God always tells the truth. God's plan will always prevail, and, and he wants the people of God to know, look, you matter. You are valuable to God. He loves you. He's not forgotten about you, and so he writes the book of Genesis. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, why the Bible is reliable, and one of the things that makes the Bible so reliable, it's not just what's written in the Bible. But it's what's not included in the Bible that makes it so reliable. I mean, consider this, that Moses would write the account of creation more than 3,000 years ago. And, and just consider over the past thousands of years how many faulty theories there have been as it pertains to creation, as it pertains to the sun, moon, and stars. There, there, there has been so much scientific advancement, so much um, generation of, of knowledge, so many theories that have been proven false that, that were believed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Faulty theories when, when Moses was writing this book. And yet not a, a single detail in Moses' account of creation contains any one of the number of faulty ideals or theories from the time that Moses was alive and even after. Even the Big Bang Theory, you might just say it like this, that, that that's just another way of saying, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. 
The overall theme of Scripture is rooted in Genesis. And if you have your notes, I do want you to write these four words down. You'll see this theme throughout the Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is the recurring theme throughout the Scripture. Its foundation is in Genesis. And this answers the most important questions of life. Creation, where do we come from? Where did life begin? Who's responsible? The fall. What went wrong? Why does it seem as though the world is literally spinning wildly out of control? The Bible says the reason is sin. What's wrong with the world? Clearly things aren't right. I don't even have to look at the world. I just look at myself. Things aren't right. What's wrong? The Bible gives us the answer in Genesis. How do we fix what's wrong? Can anybody fix what's wrong? Is there any hope for us? Well, the hope of, of, of the world is Jesus. God's redemptive plan is Jesus. God does not mince his words when it comes to his everlasting covenant. Its foundation is in the book of Genesis. What do we have to look forward to? What will it look like for God's redemptive plan to be perfectly fulfilled? What is the end game? What's the end goal? These are the questions that are answered in the very first book of the Bible. Where do we come from? What went wrong? Can anybody fix this? What's the ultimate promise of God? Jesus speaks to the ultimate promise of God in Revelation 21. He says, behold, I am making all things new. He speaks of this promise. He says, there will come a day for you where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no sickness, no pain. Behold, I am making all things new and there will come a day where every wrong will be turned on its head, will be made right. Every injustice will once and for all be eliminated. No more sin will pollute any of us who are in Christ. But I wonder how many people are here today and you say, you know what, I believe that. I believe the promise. I believe the word. I believe the plan. I believe in heaven. I look forward to the day. But if I'm honest, while I'm in the waiting, there's a lot of hurting going on right now. There's a lot of pain while I wait. I'm glad to be waiting for this thing to be fulfilled, the promise of God. But if I'm honest, the wait's hard. I felt in my spirit as I was preparing for, for this message that, that, that I just needed to pray for people before we even read the first verse of, of Genesis that, that I'm just supposed to ask you, how many people are here today watching from afar or in this room right now and there's no shame in saying, this is me, I have a feeling it's quite a few. You would say, look, I, I, I know what I'm waiting for, but, but man, I, I could use some, some peace now. I could use some courage now. I could use some help now. I I could use a touch from God today. Oh, I look forward to the day, but this day I need a touch from God. This day. I trust the word, the, the word that says, raise a child up in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. But but you know what? I'm I'm waiting for the day, but 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 if it could just if I could have a glimpse of, of hope right now. My mind, I need peace in my mind today. I need healing in my body today. I need strength, peace in my home today. If you would say, that's me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Just, just That's me. I, I need a touch from God this day. 
And just keep them up for, for a moment. Church, I want, you to, I want you to look around, and if there's somebody with their hand raised near you, just stretch out your hand toward them. If you're watching online, if you're in a prison cell, just and you, your hand's raised too, I'm going to stretch out my hand toward you. And we're going to pray right now. God, who says I'm near the brokenhearted, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, because you are present, holy present, God, and able, more than able, would you breathe new life over those whose hands are raised? Would you breathe peace into every heart and every home? Would you bring healing? God, would you bring deliverance from addiction? God, whatever it is that, the, 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 whatever the need is, Lord, here's the thing. We're not even asking you to, to, to meet the need right now. You, you don't have to bring the miracle today. But would you at least touch us today? Would you at least remind us of the goodness of your presence today? So that if we're supposed to wait one more day, two more days, that, that we would at least be reminded of this day when you came and you touched us. Would you breathe new life over our church, over the hurting? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. God is near the brokenhearted. You, you know what that means? It means when you're, when you're brokenhearted, you don't have to yell to be heard by God. You, you can just whisper. The men who found themselves in the midst of a fiery furnace in the Old Testament, they didn't have to look far to see Jesus. He was standing right there with them in the midst of the flames. Come on. He's close. He's close. You know what I love about God is when we don't have the strength to reach out to him, he's reaching out to us. It doesn't even matter. You can just, you might not have any strength left in your bones. Just sit in his presence and say, thank you, God, for being close. Would you wrap your arms around me? Because I don't even have the strength to reach out to you right now. Would you give me faith? Because my faith has failed. And he'll do that for you. The same God who's present with us now is the God of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open your Bible. We're going to read the whole chapter together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First four words in all the word are the four most important words in all the word. You disprove these first four words, no other word in the scripture matters. If there's not an in the beginning, God. In the beginning. God. Come on, somebody. In the beginning. God. <laughs> this gem of Genesis sets the foundation for everything else in life. There is God in the beginning. God set the world in motion. God is the giver of life. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He has a name. And not only can this God be known, but he longs to be known by you and me. In the beginning, God created not just what is seen, but what is yet to be seen. God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God is not only in the beginning. He's not just at the start of it all. He is the start of it all. Come on. Nothing makes sense apart from God. Nothing's been made apart from God. But notice right here, first few lines in all the scripture, we see not just singular God present. We see the triune nature of God present in creation. 
The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters in the beginning. John 1, verses 1 through 3, and in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. First few verses in Genesis. God the Father, present. God the Son, present. God the Holy Spirit, present. And this isn't the last time we're going to see Jesus in the beginning, in the book of Genesis. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. You're going to see these words a lot in this chapter, and the reason is when God says, it is always so. Come on. When God speaks, it is so. When God says, it is so. It was so. And God called the expanse sky. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. You're going to start noticing a theme, a pattern of, of words throughout this chapter, you, you're going to start to notice that there's, there's intention in God's design. There, there's purpose to every word spoken. There, there's a covenant relationship that God has with his creation. And God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. I just want to stop right here and say this is an example of what I was talking about a, a moment ago, that, that, that how could Moses have so confidently written these words? This is a profoundly scientific statement of certainty. How could Moses more than 3,000 years ago recognize the significance of sun, moon, and stars and how not only do they mark the days, but they mark the seasons and the years? How could, he know, how could he know that there would be seasons still? Greta says the seasons are going to be over in eight years. Come on, somebody. <laughs> do you want to believe Greta or do you want to believe the word? <laughs> that there are seasons 3,000 plus years. That he could have confidently written this. How did he know? He didn't have to know. He, he, he received divine revelation from the Spirit of God. And when God says it is so, it is so. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth, which is something my wife doesn't particularly like too much. She's not a fan of birds. So she would have, if she were writing this passage, she might have left that out. (laughs) And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Notice the pattern? How God's creating each according to its kind. He keeps on telling us over and over according to its kind. We created this according to its kind, that according to its kind, this according to its kind, which, which makes verse 26 so remarkable as God shifts the language that he uses in Verse 26, where he says this, let us, who is us, us is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, we see the triune nature of God present in the beginning. Let us make man in our image. Not according to its kind, according to our kind. Come on, somebody. God said, let us. Let us, Father, Son, Spirit, make man like us. Body, soul, spirit, according to our kind, in our image, in our likeness, not according to their kind, according to our kind. Church, we were made to reflect the glory, the image, the likeness of God. Now, we're going to get into it more next week. How were we created to, to, to reflect his image, his likeness? Come back next week. We're going to dive in to that. But I love how he says it. Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them. Say, say them. Let them. Who is them? Us, male and female, rule together. Come on, somebody. That'll preach right there. Let them rule That'll mess with some of your theology right there. Like, (laughs) let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, not in some other image, in his own image, in the image of God. In case you missed it, he's just repeating this over and over. He created him, male and female. He created them in his image to reflect his image, his likeness, to rule over all the earth. Nothing else was created by God to bear his image, to rule over the earth. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, now church, this is chapter one. We're, We're not even done yet, but this is chapter one, first page Bible, first page. All you need is first page Bible knowledge to when you turn on the news or you read a headline or something Bill Gates is saying about the problem with the world is overpopulation, 
like people are the problem. And can I, can I just tell you, listen, we, we steward every gift from God. And so the, the planet, we, we ought to steward the planet well, right? The planet is a gift. We're called to steward this gift. But there's a difference between stewarding the planet and worshiping the planet. There's a difference. See, the enemy is always trying to, to confuse man. Did God really say uh, are you who you are you who he says you are? No, see, I think you're 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 the problem. If the if the if the earth could just have a few years without y'all, then it would be better. As if that was the pinnacle of God's creation, and, and that you're not the apple of His eye. Come on, somebody. You see so much of the narrative in the world today. Our world has not just turned its back on God, but is in active rebellion against the very first command that God gave you and me: be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 speaks to this. It says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator. So we serve the planet now, apparently. Rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, I, I just want to, Reiterate this. This is Lord, the Lord's promise again after the flood that as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, the seasons, day and night will never cease. And here's his promise to Noah. He gives us, or his command to Noah, same command that he gave to Adam after the flood. He says to Noah, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, increase upon it. Don't, listen, I'm going to take care of the world. Y'all be good stewards, but I'm going to take care of the world. There's going to be seasons eight years from now, 16 years from now, 1,600 years from now. If Jesus waits that long, but how many of you think he's probably not going to wait another 1,600 years? I hope he doesn't. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was good, very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all the vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. And on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I think it's interesting what God chooses to bless. <laughs> That God blessed every living creature with the breath of life in it, every seed-bearing animal, insect, bird, and fish. He blesses man, the only thing created to reflect his image, and he chose to bless this day, the Sabbath day. And he even took it a step further, and he, he says, I, I'm going to make this day holy. This day is to be set apart for me. Chapter 1. What are some of the gems we see from chapter 1? That everything begins with God. All of life begins with God. That's a gem. All of life. Everything. All of life begins with God. That life is a gift from God. That we have been blessed by God. That we're created to reflect the image and the likeness of God. We see Jesus in the beginning with God the Father. We see the Spirit of God present in the beginning. We see that there's an expectation by God that, that his creation 
do what it was created to do. We see the expectation of, of his creation to produce, to be fruitful, to multiply. We, we see that every created thing by God was created on purpose and for a very specific purpose. We see that everything wrong in the world today is a direct result of our rebellion against God and of our arrogance to thwart and disregard and bypass the very purpose of God. You see, either God is God or he's not. If he's God, then he's in charge. And what he says matters a whole lot. If he's not God, if there is no God, then it's every man for himself. And, and that means who decides what's right and wrong? Who decides what is moral and immoral? This, this becomes a moving target. Who can tell us what our purpose is, what our worth is, what our value is? That's why foundations matter. God said it was so. God said it was so. God said it was so. As God said, so it will be. Because everything God says is true. Everything God says is true. Every promise he makes, he's, he's able and he's willing and he will back it up. Now that's chapter one and a few verses of chapter two. I've, I've given you the overall theme of the scripture, the recurring theme. I've, I've given you chapter one in the book of Genesis, but there's also a master plot. And I'm gonna give this to you, and I, I have to thank one of my mentors, Pastor Chris Hodges, who, who, who was the one who put this together. He, 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 he's the first one I know of that put this together. And, and it is a mirror image reflection of all of life from creation to new creation. And when I first saw this, my mind was blown. And I think some of your minds are going to be blown right now. When you understand the master plot, and the master plot matters because as we study Genesis and the foundations, we need to know what we're building toward. Like, like you got to know what you're building to know what kind of foundation to lay in the first place. And what God's building, it matters. What God's building, it's big. And so as we study the foundation that we find in Genesis, we need to know what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. If he's the beginning and the end, then, then we, you, you tell us what the beginning is. Do you tell us what the end looks like too? So get your notes out. Get your pens ready. Here we go. This is the whole story. This is our life from beginning to end. It starts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God and righteous man in paradise. Righteous. No sin, no judgment, no bloodshed, no war, no disease, no rebellion, no shame. Only perfection, only peace in paradise. By God, for God, with God, it's awesome. That doesn't last long, right? Because God's good at keeping his word, us not so much. Sin and sickness and Satan enter in Genesis chapter 3. Satan and sin enter the scene. And it's like in every scary movie you've ever seen. First few minutes, everybody's living life, loving life. All the 90s kids will understand this. And I still don't really understand why this was, but it was always the black guy that went first. Yeah, y'all know that. Like, anybody from the 90s? How racist was that, right? It's like, oh, they got diversity in the film. Not, not anymore. Long enough to put him on the cover, and then he's, he's out in three and a half minutes. Just like, I'm going to go get some pizza. Walks outside. 
psycho serial killer just takes them out. And then goes into the house, takes out everybody else. When I grew up, it was always a black eye for his eye. I just think that's so bad. So bad. <laughs> but isn't that what sin does? Just takes us out. One after another after another. It infects. It destroys. We who were once holy and righteous are now sinful and unrighteous. And there's no place in the presence of God for sin. And so there's this distance that's created between us and God. And some of you, you're, you're living in that space right now. You, you sense a distance between you and God because of sin. Well, what does God do? We can't fix this sin issue. So God steps in. Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved and his heart was filled with pain. And he sees Noah and he says, Noah, you're righteous. Nobody else is. Y'all need a redo. And so the world is judged and destroyed by water. Genesis chapter 6 through 9. And this is a grace act by God. I love the picture of, of the story of Noah. Just, just cling, to the, cling to this wood. Cling to this wood and you're going to be okay. Cling to this wood boat. Because I'm reminded of another man who chose to, to cling to, to some pieces of wood. Come on, for the salvation of all humanity. Just cling to the boat, Noah. Just cling to the boat, Noah. I'm giving you a second chance. But what do we know about man? We're not good at second chances or third chances because we'll find a way to screw it up. Genesis 10 and 11, a one-world government system is, is formed. Everybody speaks the same language. Everybody's on the same mission. Hey, we're going to build a tower to the heavenlies. We're going to make ourselves just like God. God says, no, you're not. So he confuses the language. He scatters them. Nations are formed. And, and God thinks, well, now that nations are being formed, I'm going to form myself a nation for me. So what does he do? He, 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 he establishes the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, this is going to be my holy people. This is the nation that's going to reflect me on the earth. And he gives them a bunch of laws and rules to follow. And they screw it up. They screw it up. That doesn't work. So what does God do? He sends Jesus. Come on, somebody. See, the whole story hinges on Jesus. Our foundation is Jesus. Life begins with Jesus. Life is hinging on Jesus. Life ends with Jesus. Come on, you're going to see this. God sends Jesus. He, he comes as the perfect fulfillment of the law. He does what we couldn't do for ourselves. He pays the price of our sin that we could have never paid. And then Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send out 12 disciples. Here comes this mirror image. I'm going to send out 12 disciples. I'm going to establish my church on the earth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm going to build this thing in my church. That's going to be my people, my holy people. In my church, you're going to represent me on the earth. You're going to reflect me. You're going to be my ambassadors on the earth. And I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled and empowered by my Holy Spirit to reflect me and, and, and to stand for me and to represent me. No, no longer are you going to have to try to follow the, the law that was written on tablets of stone. But, but now with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to put my law on your heart. And we're going to do this thing together. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at in history. And this is where we shift now from 
history and in the present. And now we start to look to the future, what the Bible says will come in Revelation 6 through 19, where the Bible says there will come a day where once again a one world government system will be established. People 100 years ago couldn't have even imagined, not, not even a few decades ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy how technology has changed the game. So how so many of the prophecies in the book of Revelation that speak to the end times weren't even possible until really today. I, I look back at 2020 and how not only did we go through a global pandemic, but how there was a global response. A global response. How all the nations of the earth got together and said, we're going to respond together. I think about what the Bible says of the Antichrist who will, who will step up and, and he will be a leader, apparently, that, that people want to follow. I think people today are just tired of weak leadership around the world. I'm not trying to disparage leaders, but, but come on, I think people are just growing weary. We, we need strong leaders. We need leaders who, who will actually represent the people. We need leaders who will, who will bring people together. We, we need leaders who will solve some of the world's problems. And guess what? The Antichrist will be such a leader. The Bible says he's going to solve a lot of the world's problems. He'll fix the problems in the Middle East. He's going to fix the economic issues. Why do you think we're having such economic issues? There have to be issues for the prophecies of the Bible in the end times to come to pass. There's got to be something broken for the Antichrist to fix. He's going to establish a global currency, one world currency. And I know people don't like pastors talking about money. And we, 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 we share this verse often that the, Jesus says, where, where your treasure goes, there your heart will follow also. Like where your treasure goes, your heart will be also. We don't like that. Come on, I don't, don't, don't talk about money. But here's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to turn that on its head. And, and he's going to say, now that we have this one world system, in one world currency, you can't use your wallet at Walmart until you devote your heart to me. And to, to devote your heart to me, you've actually got to take upon yourself the mark of the beast. You can't use your wallet without giving the Antichrist your heart. It's interesting. You go fly on a plane, chances are on the side of the plane, it's going to say one world. We're just, we're seeing it, we're seeing it happen right now. Now the good news is, it's just like God spared Noah and his family because they were found righteous. They were clinging to that piece of wood. How many of you know the church will be spared from the worst of it? Come on, because we're not clinging to a piece of wood. We're clinging to Jesus who embraced that piece of wood. We're clinging to him. The church will be spared, but there will come a day where the world will be judged and destroyed again. Read the book of Revelation 6 through 19. This time not by water, but by fire. The world's going to end, but not by the hand of man, by the hand of God. And what will burn is all the evil and, and present sin and every oppression and every injustice. Satan and sin will exit Revelation chapter 20, and the devil and all of his minions will be forever cast into an eternal lake of, of fire. This is where we're heading. And they'll never be released again. Come on, somebody. And God and redeemed man will be once again in paradise. Come on, somebody. God and redeemed man. It was God and righteous man in the beginning, but we're not righteous anymore, but through Christ. But come on, through Christ we are redeemed. Through Christ we are being transformed. We are being restored into his image day by day and step by step. 
And we'll get to step into that, that, that forever place where there will be no more mourning or crying or sickness or pain, injustice, evil, war, bloodshed, none of that. Jesus who said, behold, I am making all things new. We're gonna get to step into that newness from creation to new creation because of Jesus who's the center of it all. Through Jesus, who in Revelation 22 said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Through Jesus, who in John 5, he said, you search the scripture because you think the word will give you life, but the scripture points to me, I give you life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven but through me. Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name but the name of Jesus under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. I didn't even put this one in my notes, but the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Even Satan, our adversary, is going to be driven to his knees. And he's going he's gonna to say, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. I've been pretending. I've been playing. But I know who Jesus is. I know that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Here's my question to you. Have you done that? Are you saved? Are you forgiven? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you? If not, would you cry out to him right now? Would you pray with me? Matter of fact, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. Wherever you are, you want Jesus? You want the promise of heaven? You, are you desperate for eternal life and everything the Holy Spirit of God has to offer? That he would be willing to dwell inside of you? Just say, Jesus, I need you. I trust you as Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as I choose to follow you. I commit my life to you. I receive salvation, forgiveness, mercy, and the promise of heaven from you now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, church, I just came from a conference 12,000 young people who know how to worship. Sometimes I feel like I've got to pull your teeth. And I just wonder if creation will sing his praises. Can we say, so will I? If the rocks will cry out in worship, can we say, so will I? If the walls 